How many of you, when you first came in the room this morning, noticed the cross? Kind of hard to miss, isn't it? I was uh, enjoying watching the family eating dinner, trying to ignore the cross that had crashed through the roof. It was in their, 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 their dining room. And whenever there's something really big, really obvious, that we don't want to deal with, we want to ignore it, we don't want to talk about it, we have a saying, an expression, we call it the elephant in the room. It's that big thing, it's just obvious, you can't miss it. But for whatever reason, we try to ignore it. Let's not deal with it. And all of us have elephants in our own lives. Some of you have problems at home, problems in your family and relationships, and you don't want to deal with them, don't want to talk about it, don't want to address it. You have problems at work. Maybe you have some health issues. Perhaps there's a, there's a, a bad habit in your life, and you're embarrassed, you're ashamed, and you wish it were different, but that's, that's you. It's your habit, and for whatever reason, you're not willing to face it. You're not willing to deal with it. Today I want to talk about an elephant in the room that's really big. And, and the consequences associated with this elephant are eternal. I mean, there's nothing more significant than what we're going to talk about today. And it's the cross. The elephant in the room is the cross and the real message of the cross. Now, some of you, when I say the cross is the elephant in the room, that big subject we don't want to talk about, you think I'm crazy because you see crosses everywhere. They adorn our churches. You drive around Rock Hill and they're on steeples. We wear them as jewelry. I have uh, cufflinks today that are in the shape of cross. I became a follower of Jesus Christ when I was a teenager and in those early years during high school and, and, and college I would often wear a cross and wear it when I preached. And this cross I'm wearing today is from those years. This, this is one I wore when I was in, in high school. You turn on the television, you see athletes and other public figures, you know people like this, and they have on their body a, a tattoo of a cross. Crosses are, are, are everywhere. And, and, and so for me to say that the cross is the elephant in the room, this, this big subject that, that we really don't want to talk about, some of you think, I'm crazy. I mean, there are some Christians when they pray, they, they end their prayer with the, the sign of the cross. Most Americans know that the cross is a, a Christian symbol. And it's a symbol that gives hope and encouragement to people everywhere. Many of our graves, especially of military men and women who've, who've died in the, in the line of duty, their, their, their graves are marked with a cross. When the tragedy of 9-11 occurred on Ground Zero, some of you will remember that the cross, that, that steel beam, that structure that was from the ruin that was in the shape of a cross. And it became a moving memorial. People would look at it and be inspired and find hope in the midst of that tragedy and devastation. That cross today is, is a, a permanent part of the 9-11 memorial in New York City. But what you may not know is on the day of 9-11, there, there was a man who had a, a tattoo shop near the towers. And after he had cleaned the ash from his establishment, his business, he walked over to the, to, the, to the 9-11 site, to Ground Zero, and he was standing there just surveying the ruins and the, the damage and thinking about how many people had died. And he was overcome with emotion. He had an idea of how he could help just a little bit. 
he decided he would offer a free tattoo to anyone working at Ground Zero that wanted one. And in the beginning, there was just a, a trickle of workers coming to his shop asking for things like maybe an American flag or perhaps the name of someone who had died on 9-11 that they knew. And then he came up with a new design for a tattoo. He designed one like that cross. And as word got out among the workers, what had been a trickle became a steady stream. And in the months to follow, he estimates that he, that he eked more than 1,000 tattoos of that cross on men and women working at Ground Zero. We know that the cross is a symbol of hope. We know that it, that, it, that it encourages. But the truth is, most of us really don't understand the true message, the real depth of meaning associated with this Christian symbol. And perhaps you're one of those who really don't get it. You know it's on steeples. We, you know we wear it as jewelry. You, you know it's on gravestones. You, you know it's, it's hope. And, and you know it's something about Jesus and his death. But you don't really get the full meaning of the cross. And if that's you, you're not alone. In fact, there are more people like you than not like you. And it's not new to our day, to this generation. Generations in the past have struggled to really grasp the depth of meaning in the cross of Jesus Christ. Going all the way back to the first century, they struggled with it as well. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, writing to the believers in the city of Corinth, he said this, he said, The Jews asked for signs, and the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Romans seek wisdom. But we, followers of Jesus Christ, he says, we preach Christ crucified. Paul said, we don't simply preach Jesus. Our message is more than just Jesus. Our message is Jesus crucified. We preach Christ crucified. The cross is at the heart of the gospel. The cross is at the heart of Jesus' story and, and, and the message of salvation. The cross is at the heart of God's love for you and at the heart of what God wants to do in your life. And without understanding the message of the cross, you don't understand God and you don't understand what He wants to do in your life. We preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, He says. And to the Gentiles, foolishness. So why did the Apostle Paul say, say that to, to Jewish people that the true message of the cross was a stumbling block? And, and the message of the cross to, to Gentiles, to the Romans, to the Greeks, to modern Americans is foolishness. Why did he say that? Well, it's because the cross, the crucifixion, was a place of execution. It was their death penalty, if you will. And it was reserved for the worst of the worst, for criminals and traitors and those that, that were looked down on. It was those that, that we said, they're the bad, they're the scum. That's who the cross was reserved for. It was intended to not only kill, but to kill in the most horrific, painful way imaginable, to inflict the greatest pain. The cross was a place of shame. The, place was a, the cross was a place of embarrassment, not only for the one who was crucified, but for his family and his closest friends. 
And Paul said to the Romans, to the Greeks, to us modern Americans, many times the real message of the cross is foolishness. For if the cross is a place where the worst of the worst, the, 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 the criminals and the traitors are executed, how can it be? How can it be that a criminal could be our God? How, how could the worst of the worst, how could a, a traitor, how could a criminal be our Savior? How, how could he be the king? How could he be Lord? How could he be the one that offers us hope? And so the non-Jewish culture said, it's stupid, it's foolish, it doesn't make sense. And many people today, we, we lack our, we, we, we lack our cleaned up crosses. We, we lack the message of hope, but we don't want to go any further than that and really understand what it's truly talking about. To the Jews, it was a stumbling block because for decades they had been looking for and expecting a Messiah, a deliverer. And the Greek equivalent of the New Testament for the Hebrew Messiah is Christos, the Christ, the anointed one. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the anointed one. Jesus, the Messiah. They were looking for a Messiah, for a Christ who would deliver them from Roman oppression, who would set the people of Israel free from captivity, if you will. And so they were always looking for signs, wonders, and miracles. Someone who claimed to be the Messiah had to prove by wonder-working power, by miracles, that he really was the Messiah. And thus, when Jesus would raise the dead and heal the sick, they were intrigued. They listened. But now he's on the cross. Now he's dying. The Messiah would not do that. The Christ would not do that. And so as they stood on the ground beneath the cross, looking at him, hanging in the sky, they hurled abuse to him and said, if you're truly the King of kings, if you're truly the King of Jews, if you're really the Son of God, if you're really the Messiah, if you're really who you say you are, come down from that cross. Save yourself. Let us see you do it. Let us see you work that power when you do it. We'll see and will believe one of the two thieves executed with Jesus that day at Calvary looked at him and said, you're, you say you're the Christ. You say you're the Messiah. Well, then save yourself and save us. Show us that power. Show us that miracle. And then we'll believe. See, the problem was Jesus did not meet their expectations. They had a certain kind of Messiah they wanted. And throughout America today, and some of you in this room, you're, you're looking for a God that you want, a God that you like. You, you want a God who agrees with you all the time. You, you want a God who answers questions with the answers you like. You, you want a God who always does what you want him to do and doesn't do what you don't want him to do. You, you want a God who thinks like you think about everything. You, you, you want a God that you create in your imagination. And the problem with that kind of God is he's not really God. He's just a figment of your imagination. For if God is indeed God, we, me and you, will always be less than Him. 
And so when we hear the true story, we hear the true message of the cross and all of its implications, we want to ignore it so we can create what we want. God in our own image. And we ignore what's in the room, this big elephant that is staring us in the face, the true message of the cross. Today, if you're struggling to understand the real meaning of the cross, if, you, if, if you're seeking answers to what is, the, what is the true message of the cross, then you're in the right place. Because we're going to take a few moments and share with you from Scripture the message of the cross. Not the sanitized version that we wear as jewelry. Not the cleaned up version that's on the steeples of churches. But the true message, the true meaning of the cross. Because you see, the cross is a place of death. The cross is a place of terrible suffering and great pain. As I said a moment ago, it was intended to... to, to, to bring to bear on someone the most painful death they could, to be an excruciating death, to be extremely painful. It was a bloody place. It was a horrible place. It's not a clean place. It's not a pretty place. It's an ugly place. And it's a horrible place. And the crucifixion of Jesus Christ followed the pattern of the typical Roman crucifixion of that era. Jesus' story begins the evening of his arrest as he gathers in a room with his disciples observing the Jewish Passover. And it's during that meal he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper. He looks around at those 12 men he had spent the past three years with, those who were closest to him, his closest followers, those that he invested in. He looked around the room at those 12 men and he said, Tonight, one of you is going to betray me. He looked around at those 12 he loved so much. And he said, Peter, tonight you will deny me three times. He looked around that dinner table at those 12 men who were the closest people on earth to him. And he said to them, tonight each and every one of you will run away and abandon me. And they leave that upper room. Go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus needs to pray. He knows, being the Son of God, what's about to happen, that in a few hours he'll be hanging on that bloody cross. And the Bible says he's in anguish, he's in turmoil, that is, that his emotions and his soul are at the point of death. It's a heavy burden because he knows what's coming. And he asks the disciples to pray for him. And he goes to a spot, gets on his knees, and begins to pour his heart out to the Father. And the Bible says he begins to sweat, and it's like great drops of blood are falling from his forehead to the ground. He's in such anguish. And he says, Father, if there's any way for people to have a relationship with you without me going to that ugly, terrible cross, let it be. But if that's the only way, then I'm willing. He comes to his disciples only to find them sleeping instead of praying. And how many times have you and I slept on Jesus? 
How many times has Jesus tried to get your attention, ask you to do something, direct you in life, only for you to sleep on Him and ignore what's going on in your heart and in your life and ignore the voice of God speaking to you in that moment? How many times have you slept on Christ when He called you to try something, to do something, to be somebody, to make a decision that would make a difference? How many times have you been asleep when He was speaking to you? And suddenly a mob appears. They've come to arrest Jesus. And the front of the mob is one of those twelve, Judas, who walks up and betrays him with a kiss on the cheek. And in that moment, Jesus tells us in the Gospels that there were thousands upon thousands of angels in heaven waiting for him to summon them. All he had to do was say, come. And if he did, they would rescue him from that moment. They would rescue him from that mob. They would rescue him from the cross. Come, and they would have come. He's their commander. He's their creator. But he did not ask them to come because he said it was for this hour that I was born. Jesus said, I came to give my life as a ransom on that terrible, bloody, awful cross for you. I came to die for you. This is my moment. This is my hour. This is my destiny. And he allowed them to tie his hands behind his back. And think of this. Jesus is the one who stepped on the edge of heaven in the beginning of time and with his spoken word created this beautiful universe. He's the one that spoke and hung the moon, the stars, and sun. He's the one that spoke and created the beautiful animals and plants and us. And here He, the creator of everything, stands and allows them to tie His hands, lead Him away as a prisoner. And He spends that entire night before the Jewish court, the Sanhedrin, being ridiculed. He spends that night with the religious establishment spitting in his face, putting a blindfold over his eyes and slapping him and saying, if you're really the Son of God, prophesy and tell us who it was that hit you. Over and over, throughout the darkness of that night, this continued. That morning they take Jesus to Pilate, the Roman leader of that region. Pilate has him scourged or flogged. This was the normal proceeding for someone who was going to be crucified. It was designed to to inflict pain and hasten death once they were on the cross. They would strip the clothing from their body and with whips similar to those, they would beat the one about to be executed with with a whip that had various numbers of leather thongs on it. On the end of each piece of leather, there would be something tied to it. It could be a metal ball. It could be a piece of bone, a piece of glass, anything that would cut, anything that would bruise, anything that would damage. And 39 times they would hit that body. And because there's multiple thongs on each one, multiple lashes, and first the flesh would tear away, and then it would bruise, and then the muscles would be cut. Great loss of blood. Shock. It was designed to bring them as close to death as they could without actually killing them. And then 400 Roman soldiers took Jesus, who'd already been beaten within an inch of his life, 
And they put a purple robe on his back, the symbol, the color of royalty. They, they fashioned a, a, a crown from thorns and pushed it into his scalp. And they took a reed or a stick and put it in his hand like a scepter, the authority, the sign of authority for a king. And these Roman soldiers, these burly men of war, would mockingly bow in front of him and as they rose to their feet, spit in his face and take that stick and hit him over the head, pushing the thorns into his scalp and say, Hail thou! king of the Jews and he let them and the cross beam placed on his shoulders and his hands tied to it so he couldn't drop it if he fell it would fall on top of him he was forced to carry it through the crowded streets of the capital city of Jerusalem people lining the streets like a parade Soldiers with their whips pushing, pushing, pushing as he makes his way with that crossbeam to Calvary. And once there, they nail him to the cross. Nails through each of his wrists and through his feet. That's an actual nail from a Roman crucifixion penetrating two human heels. The next slide will show you some nails without the bone. Driven through here, not the palm, through the wrist, through his feet. And then he hangs between heaven and earth on the cross. See, the the cross is not clean. The cross is not decorative. The cross is bloody. The cross is terrible. The cross is death. The cross is suffering. And that's what Jesus experienced. It's hard to breathe when you were crucified. Just your arms driven into that wood and your feet supporting your body. And as you slumped over, hard to get air in and hard to exhale. And you would try to raise up so it would be easier to breathe. And every time you would do that, the nerves where the nails were penetrating your body would ache and it would send pain through your whole body. And eventually you couldn't lift up anymore and gradually you suffocated, sometimes to hasten death, to hasten suffocation where they would, they would break the prisoner's legs. And then they always did what they did to Jesus to make sure the, the, the one being executed was dead. They would take a spear and thrust it into his chest. That's the cross. That's Jesus' cross. Death and suffering And it's a place of shame. Traitors. Traitors. Criminals. People worthy of the death penalty. Embarrassment for their family. There's a prominent Christian physician who had an experience years ago when he was in medical school He missed a class dealing with venereal disease, and so he had to make it up by going to a clinic. And when he got there, he found himself in line with a bunch of men at that clinic who who were there to be tested and treated for venereal disease. And so he got out of line, went to the head nurse, and, and he said, I need to see the doctor. And she said, that's what everybody says, get back in line. He said, you don't understand, I'm a medical, I'm a medical, I'm a medical student. 
And, and she said, so what? You got it the same way everybody else did. Get back in line. And eventually he was able to make her understand why he was really there. And years later, this prominent Christian physician would say that, that when he thinks about that experience, he can still feel the shame and embarrassment he felt when he stood in line with those men with venereal disease all those years before. I wonder what Jesus felt. I wonder what Jesus felt when those religious leaders spit in his face. I wonder what Jesus felt when those soldiers beat him within an inch of his life with those whips. I wonder what Jesus felt when they mockingly spit in his face and said, Hell thou king of the Jews. I wonder what Jesus felt as he carried that piece of wood through the crowd to the place of death. Can you imagine you're being executed and you're carrying your own Weapon of execution through the streets of downtown Rock Hill, through the parking lot of the Galleria, up and down Dave Lyle, where everybody gathers on every side to look and watch at the spectacle. I wonder what he felt. When they drove the nails through his wrist, what did he feel? And when he hung on the cross dying, how did he feel? Well, Scripture tells us, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And notice this, who for the joy set before him. What was the joy in front of Jesus when he was hanging on that cross and walking through those streets? It was you. It was you. It was you. It was me. Because he was doing it for us. And because of that joy, the joy of us, He endured. He endured the cross, despising the what church? The shame. It was an embarrassment. It was humiliating. He's the Creator. He's the King. He's Lord. It was humiliating. But He endured it and despised the shame because the joy He gets from us when our lives are changed exceeds all that embarrassment. Can you think of a greater love than that? That's the message of the cross. The cross... Is a place of salvation. It's a place where sin is faced and dealt with honestly and where its consequences are, are addressed and, and, and not ignored. The Bible says that Jesus bore in His own body our sins. Think about that. That He bore in His own bodies our sins. That on that cross, my sin was placed on Jesus. Your sin was placed on Jesus. And, and, and the consequence of our sin was dumped on Him, and He let it happen. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages, the paycheck for our sin is death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God in a place of suffering called hell. Do you know why Jesus endured that ugly, bloody, terrible, painful cross? So you could be free from the consequences of your sin. 
He bore your sin, your wages, so you would not have to. To give you a future. To give you forgiveness. To give you a new life. If you would only give your life to Him. Commit your life to Him. And so I ask you again, are you sleeping today? Are are you sleeping on this, Jesus? Are Are you sleeping on the message of the cross? See, the greatest suffering of Jesus was not the physical pain of the cross. It was the three hours as he hung on the cross immediately before he died when it turned pitch black and he became sin for us. That was his greatest suffering. And he did it because he loves you and he loves me. And he says, I want to give you a gift. The gift of God is eternal life. He says, I, want, I, I, take, I take your sin on me because I want to give you a gift, a gift, a gift, eternal life. When Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, his body was, over a period of days, transported from Washington to his home state of Illinois, stopping stopping en route in several cities and small towns. And one of those was Albany, New York. And there was a recently freed African-American slave, a mother, when his body made its way through Albany, she, she stood on the curb and she took her little boy in her hands and she held him as high above her head as she could so he could see over the crowd. And this mother said to her little boy, take a long look, honey. He died for you. And my challenge to you right now is to take a long look. Take a long look at the cross of Jesus. Take a long look at what He did for you, what He endured for you. To take a long look at your own life. To take a long look at how you've been treating Him, responding to Him. To take a long look at whether you've been sleeping on Him or surrendered to Him. To take a long look on whether you've been ignoring Him or loving Him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. Take a long look at the cross and take a long look at your life and what does it say to you? What do you need to do? What decision do you need to make? There are some of you who are already followers of Jesus Christ and you've grown indifferent. Today you need to come home and say, Oh God, I'm sorry. I've been taking you for granted, Jesus. I'm sorry. And I repent of that. And I ask your forgiveness. And I surrender my will to you afresh today. You are my Lord. Be my Lord. I surrender. I surrender. I repent. I repent. There are some of you who take this family of God called First Baptist for granted. And today you need to renew your commitment to support and be Be one who helps this body of Christ. For the Jesus who died on that cross, we are His bride. We are His body. We are His family. Stop ignoring it and taking it for granted. And there are some of you who are not followers of Jesus Christ. You've never really fully grasped that He died to pay for your sin. 
You've never surrendered your life to Him. You've never given your life to Jesus and asked Him to change you and forgive you and become your Savior and become your Lord and become your Master. And so I ask you, is today the day that you stop sleeping, that you stop ignoring the elephant in the room? Is today the day you say yes to Jesus Christ? Is this the moment, right now, is this the moment you wake up and say yes to 